All right, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, we are basically going to be doing the entire chapter this morning. Luke chapter 21 is where we will be as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. You'll notice that we're not really stopping to look back on the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 or in any other text. Um, So... What we're actually going to be talking about this morning is destruction. (laughs) We're going to be talking about, um, yeah, the end of things. And so it's not exactly the most cheery of Christmas things. um, But I hope that we are able to see how these things can still relate. As we look at Luke chapter 21 this morning, it will become clear that appearances can be deceiving. That we don't have to, I mean, just in our context of now being Christmas week and not talking about the Christmas story for our sermon, as normally I don't do special things on special occasions unless it just happens to fall in on it. Um, I'm happy just to continue going along uh, where we are in our preaching through books of the Bible. But... um, how this still can relate. And so you may think that the appearance of talking about destruction is strange, but it can still have something to do with Christ. Um, And it does. This is who we're looking at this morning. Um, Appearances can be deceiving. In Luke chapter 21, we come to the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end of Jesus' life on earth. If there was a beginning that we celebrate this week, then there has to be some sort of ending. Maybe. Maybe the disciples thought so. Maybe we're not really sure as we read through this. You know, what is going to be the end of this story? Most of us already know this, what the end is. But his teaching ministry, as we've been going through this gospel, we've seen that his teaching ministry um, especially started in Luke chapter 9. And as he entered Jerusalem a few weeks ago for us, a couple chapters ago for Luke, um, we saw him sort of begin the end of his teaching ministry. And this is where it culminates. And go figure, as he ends his teaching ministry here in the book of Luke, in this gospel, he actually talks about the end. In chapter 22, you can see, just if you look at some titles in your text, the plot to kill Jesus, Judas to, to betray Jesus. If we begin to just see the events that unfold those last couple days, those last few days, as Jesus is turned over to the Jewish leaders, to the Roman authorities, as he is put on trial, as he's betrayed, as he's arrested, put on trial, as he suffers, as he's crucified. And so before then, Luke gives us a nice picture of what should we expect then as time continues to happen, as things continue to move on and Jesus leaves this earth, what's going to happen? What can we look forward to? He's given a prime opportunity to speak about the end because some of the people around him are talking about stuff that's not going to last. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to talk about 
in things. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll be able to see that judgment is coming. That judgment is coming. And so what does that mean for disciples of Jesus? Judgment is coming. So what does that mean for disciples of Jesus? Those are the two things we're going to focus on as we look at Luke chapter 21. We'll mainly be in verses 5 through 38, and I'll read all of that as we begin. So Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 5 through the end of the chapter. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations." And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with, great, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake and at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. 
But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. It's quite a few verses. And so let's walk through it. And what we're going to do, we did this a few weeks ago. We're actually going to kind of walk through this twice, looking at two different themes along the way. The first one is judgment is coming. So the main question that we're going to be answering as we go through it this first time is why is Jerusalem going to be judged? That is the main focus of what he is talking about here. It's not the only focus, I think, but it is the main focus of what he's talking about. It's interesting that as Jesus As Luke records for us in verses 1 through 4, Jesus has just shown his disciples, hey, look at this old lady, this old widow, who has no means. She has nothing. Look at her giving. She gives basically a penny into the offering plate. And to all of us, the appearance is, wow, she's not giving a whole lot. Because then we see all the other people, all the rich people who have money and who are giving all these offerings and all this money and saying, oh, look at all the money that these people are giving to Christ, or not to Christ, but to God. Look at all of the offerings they're giving towards the temple. And Jesus says, look, this old widow who's given a penny has just given more than all of the other people because she has given all she has to live on. It's not really so much what she's given, but what she's left with. She's left with nothing but God. And all these other people who have all these means still have all their means. They still have all of what they need to live on. They can depend on themselves, and they do. And so that is given to us. And then verse 5, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings... So Jesus says, don't be fooled by appearances. The hypocrisy of the whole charade of God's people allegedly being God's people, but really all they care about is looks. They're saying, look at what we've been able to accomplish. Look at what we've rebuilt, this temple that was destroyed, that now we've rebuilt and is still in the process of being rebuilt. They say, look at all these stones, and these were massive stones. If you read any about the history of the temple and how it was rebuilt, it may have even been built bigger and better when it was finished, and it wasn't even finished at this point when Jesus is there teaching in it and talking about it. It was probably even bigger and better than when Solomon built it. And when Solomon built it, there was nothing that compared to it. People came around from other nations to look at the temple in Solomon's time and say, look at how fantastic this is. Look at how much work has been put into this. And so Jesus hears people speaking about the temple and saying, look at how wonderful it looks. We marvel at appearances, but God is going to judge the hypocrisy of the Jewish people. So the first thing we're going to see, why is Jerusalem going to be judged? It's to fulfill prophecy and to judge Israel's hypocrisy. And it comes back to this idea that appearances can be 
deceiving. We can think that just because something looks good on the outside means that everything on the inside is still good and wonderful. So if we're fooled into just looking at the outside and thinking that God only cares about the outside, then we have mistaken who God is and what God knows and what God really cares about. And so God has told his people that he will judge them for such things. And Jesus says, look, verse 6, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I'm, like these stones are more than 10 feet wide, more than 10 feet long, more than 10 feet tall. They say that some of these stones, maybe each of them, weighed more than a million pounds. Like, these things were gigantically heavy. They were huge. And you would look at it and say, wow, this looks really good. But so many times in the Gospels, we see Jesus saying, stop caring about appearances. And they were so content, the people of Israel, with the appearances, that what was going to come upon them was the curse of the law. Deuteronomy 28 and 29. Feel free to read those later on. But it talks about the blessings and curses that God's people could expect if they obeyed his commands, if they walked in submission to God, if they cared more about God than themselves. Blessings were going to come to them. But if not, if they went after all the gods of the other nations, if they cared about their own self-preservation, their own self-satisfaction, curses were going to come their way. The leaders of Israel at this time cared more about their appearances than the truth. The end of chapter 20, verse 45 And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, appearances, and love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They want to look good. This is all about looks for them. They will receive the greater condemnation, and the temple that they so A door, and that has become the center place of worship for themselves, will be destroyed. The whole irony in this, as Mark Dever talks about, is that they were actively seeking God's absence in the very place that was supposed to represent his presence. They were actively seeking God's absence, Christ. They wanted him gone, out of there. In the very place that should have represented his presence. It's a sad thing. Uh, like So this is what he's talking about. The destruction of the temple. Verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. He doesn't... I mean, Jesus is a, is, a, is a good teacher, and we can learn many things from him and how he answers. Sometimes, oftentimes, 
when he's asked a question, he doesn't answer the question the way that we suppose he would answer the question. Like when I ask someone a question, and my family knows this too well, I just want an answer to that specific question. The disciples don't get that here. And rarely do people get that from Jesus. He usually asks them a question back. Or he usually goes into some long parable or story. I would probably do well to learn to be patient and wait for answers whenever I expect just simply the answer to my question and nothing else. Because Jesus never gives that. What does he say? They ask him, when will these things be? What will be the sign? He says, look, before I give you any of that, just make sure that you don't follow other people who try to give you the answer because they don't have the answer. Other people don't have the answer. Don't be deceived. See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. If someone says the end is going to be now, they are not to be listened to. And it still is true for when it comes to people talking about the end times. When they say the end of the world is at hand, don't believe them. So far, any of them that have said it have been wrong because we're still here, right? And so maybe this should be an encouragement for us to say, oh, it's okay for me not to believe this guy over here because no one else has been right so far either. There's you. That, that was free. Just a little side note. But it's what he's telling his disciples then, and it's what we can still remember now. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Okay, so he says all these things are going to happen, wars are going to happen, nations are going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, various places, famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Jesus is still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. I mean, the destruction of the temple would be the culmination, the clear sign that Jerusalem has been completely overthrown and destroyed. The place that was meant to represent where God was and where God's people were is going to be flattened. It's going to be completely and utterly destroyed. Why is Jerusalem going to be judged? It's going to be judged so that we can understand where God is. To make it clear where God is, that's our second point of this question, we can see where God is. Look at verses 20 through 24 again. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem is going to be sacked. It's a really cool historical term. It's going to be sacked. And the Gentiles are going to take over. 
And this is meant to signify the fact that the temple, just in case Jesus' life and death and resurrection wasn't clear to his own people, it should be clear to his own people and to everyone else that no longer does God have to be worshipped at one spot. God now has sent his spirit to be with us all around the earth. So that in case there's any question, you no longer have to go. We no longer have to go to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God, to worship God. And it still is that case to this day, 2,000 years later. The temple in Jerusalem were destroyed in AD 70. This actual, these things actually happened. And what's amazing is Jesus gives a warning to his disciples and he says, look, It's going to happen when you see it begin to happen. Run away. Flee. Get out of Jerusalem. Don't go into the city walls. You're not going to be safe. It is going to be overthrown. And in the historical accounts that we have through Josephus and Eusebius, it is interesting to note that it's claimed that there were no Christians who actually died in the sacking of Jerusalem. Why would that be the case? Well, it would be the case because Jesus actually said these words and people like Luke actually recorded them and people heard them and they listened to them. It's said that they went to a town outside the Transjordan, around the Jordan River, the other side, to a town called Pella, which is also a company that makes doors. See, they entered through the door to the safe space. Okay, anyway, so um, these things actually happened. And what it signifies, back to our point at hand, is that God is now able to be worshipped everywhere. Gentiles are everywhere, right? You and I, we're Gentiles. And God is with us here in Southwest Virginia because we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship him. This is supposed to be a clear sign. Jerusalem is judged so that it is clear to us that God has sent his son and sent his spirit now to be with us all. He also destroys Jerusalem, our third point, to make clear who Jesus is. This may not have been as clear to a lot of us, but verses 25 through 33. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with, great, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Now I still think there's some level that he's still talking about his own disciples, and he's still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. It could be seen that he's beginning to talk about the end of all things. But what's interesting is what this signifies, verse 27 especially. Look at that, verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is a specific and particular reference to to Daniel chapter 7 that Jesus gives of himself to make clear who he is when he identifies himself as the Son of Man 
And what's so significant about the Son of Man? This strange phrase that's still difficult for a lot of us to understand. Verse 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is saying, upon his death and resurrection, he is going to be riding on the cloud to heaven, which he does in Acts chapter 1, just a few chapters away, if you take this as one giant book split up into two, which it is two books, but it's all Luke writing it. Acts chapter 1, he's taken away in the cloud. We're actually given that imagery. They'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Where is he coming to? When we read that, we think he's coming to this earth, but he is going to God. In Daniel 7, that's what's happened. He's coming to God, and he is being given dominion and power and glory and a kingdom that will never end. This is Jesus. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed because they have just turned themselves away from the Son of Man. Then Jesus, in what should be seen as blasphemous, if you don't believe in him. And another instance for us who do believe in him to have that he saw himself as God, verses 29 through 33, I'll explain. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's quite a bold claim. He says, my words will not pass away. Now, all of us wish that to be the case. We wish, even if just for our own kids, that they would remember all of our words that we told them, right? What did I tell you to do? Like, remember what we said. I wish they would not pass away, right? I mean, it would be so great if our words were adhered to, if they were remembered, if we didn't have to repeat ourselves in any aspect of life, at work. Hey, go do this. And then I'd come back 10 minutes later. What was I supposed to do? I told you to do this. It was pretty clear. I wrote it on the board. See it right there. Jesus is saying his words are not going to pass away. He's putting himself in the position that is referenced in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of our God will stand forever. And Jesus says, but my words will not pass away. He is saying that his words are God's words. There are many people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God. There were explicit and implicit opportunities given to us, written down for us, that we can see that Jesus 
saw himself as being God, as being the Son of Man who is given authority and power and glory, a kingdom that will never end. Why is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? Because God said he would destroy him if they didn't follow after him. Because God wanted to make it clear where God was to be worshipped. And because it needed to be clear who Jesus was. And so what then are we supposed to do about it? This is our second run through of our text. We'll try to do it quickly. Judgment has come to Jerusalem, is coming to Jerusalem. If we're in the timetable of reading this. And so what does that mean for his disciples? What does it mean for his disciples then? What does it mean for his disciples now? Number one, beware of false prophets and false teachers. We already mentioned this a little bit. Verses 7 through 9 in the text. When someone says, I am he, and it's recorded that people right after, before the destruction of the temple, Josephus, the historian, gives for us accounts where false messiahs claimed, hey, I'm Jesus, come back. Hey, I'm the new Christ. Look at me. Listen to me. People did this. And Jesus says, don't listen to them. When people say, I know all of the events that are going to happen that lead to the end of all things, don't listen to them. Don't be led astray. Beware of false prophets and false teachers. The second thing, witness to unbelievers through wisdom and the Spirit. Read verses 10 through 15. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict." In Acts chapter 6, we have a first good glimpse of what it looks like when people are persecuted and the first martyr in the early church, Stephen. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and other areas rose up and disputed with Stephen, verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. You see how much they cared about that place? Do you see why maybe it was necessary for the destruction of that place to happen? This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then chapter 7, we have this giant speech where Stephen goes through all of 
Jewish history, all of history to that point. And they're not able to contradict him. What do they do? Since they can't say you are wrong, they can't prove him wrong, they have to kill him. They're not willing to say I was wrong. They're not willing to repent. And this is why they're going to be judged. Their lack of repentance. And this is given, Stephen is given, the early church is given, through their persecution, opportunities to witness to unbelievers. What are we supposed to do about the destruction that was going to come, about the unbelief that Israel and Jerusalem were going to continue to be under, and that now even our world still disbelieves about Jesus being the Christ, about Jesus being the Son of God. We are given opportunities to witness to unbelievers in the midst of persecution. That doesn't mean go out and look for it. It means these things will simply happen because evil men will do evil things. And you don't have to have all the answers. Jesus says, decide for yourself. Don't figure out what you're going to say. Depend on the spirit that I have given to you, that I am giving to you, that is coming into this world to give you a mouth to have wisdom to speak. That's what we saw with Stephen in Acts 6. Beware of false prophets and false teachers. Witness to unbelievers. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. How was the early church so successful in the spreading of the gospel because they were put before the councils and the governors and taken and arrested and they preached in the prisons. They sang hymns in the prisons. Read the book of Acts and see how persecution helped to spread the gospel. Opportunities to witness come about. The third thing, what are we supposed to do about it, about it, about destruction, about the hatred that other people have toward us? Endure in the sure hope of eternal life. Endure in the sure hope of eternal life. Verses 16 through 19 in our text. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. The temptation that we have is to give up because we don't believe that there is something greater than the present moment. And isn't this the impetus of most all sin? I don't think that there's something better on the other side. I have to take what is, seems good and right now. Disbelief that there is something better, that there is something greater than what we can see and hear and feel in that exact present moment. Earlier in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. To be a disciple of Jesus, you have to accept God's judgment of you and receive then his offer of grace instead. But these authorities, these Jewish leaders, would not do was admit 
that they had God's judgment aimed at them. They refused to admit that they were wrong. They refused to admit their sin. They refused to repent. Though Jesus all along is offering grace, at a certain point, judgment was going to come. And this is, this is what it looks like to repent and believe, to, to see God's judgment of you on you and then to receive his offer of grace instead. Repentance, belief, God has created us, but we are enticed by our own desires, desires of our flesh, desires of our eyes, pride in our possessions, as 1 John 2 says. Hopefully you've been reading through 1 John and 2 John and 3 John. We became fools who believe that we don't need anything other than ourselves to be satisfied. I'm, I'm fine with what I have, except for I need some presents under the tree to make me a little bit more happy. We became fools who think all we need to do is believe in ourselves. This is the constant refrain that we have in society. Trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. Be who you are. I don't want to be who I am. Because what I am is a sinner who deserves God's judgment. What I want to be is who God has called me to be. Is who God has made me in Christ. And God has shown his display of mercy and grace toward us through Jesus Christ to redeem us. He sent his son to be born, to live, to die, to rise again. But it's just an offer. It has to be accepted. And it's only accepted through repentance and faith. Acknowledge your rebellion. Acknowledge the judgment that is supposed to come your way. We each only have a set time to respond to God's offer of redemption. If there isn't a text that makes that clear, these verses, this chapter, should make this a little bit more clear for us. And so, while you still have the moment, the opportunity to respond, respond. Don't wait. And so our last point there, what are we supposed to do about it? Be faithful in the time that we're given. The rest of that chapter, verses 24 through 38 especially. The time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled, Jesus says, which means there is a set time. And so in that time... Be faithful. Verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. I don't know what your version says. But dissipation just means an overindulgence. Like in drunkenness. Like drunkenness is with alcohol. So too, gluttony. Don't overindulge in the things of this world so that you are distracted from what's important. I mean, do we not feel distracted today? I mean, is there, is there any point in time, has there been any point even during this sermon when you have not been distracted? 
I mean, and not just physical distractions, like people getting locked out of a door, <laughs> but mental distractions. I mean, like, what am I going to do for lunch today? Uh, you know, uh, what's the rest of the day going to look like? How am I going to fix this thing on my car that broke down? Uh, you know, this, what am I going to wear tomorrow? Uh, there's all kinds of things that can distract you. Social media is meant to distract us. It's meant to eat up as much time as humanly possible. And it does eat up a ton of time. We indulge in the cares and concerns of this world. And that day is going to come upon us like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And this is where I think, in case... We weren't sure if Jesus is talking about just Jerusalem or if he's talking about the end of all things. I think, at least with these last few verses, he is talking about the end of all things as well. He's going to come back, and there, we're going to be able to see some signs that kind of think, oh, yeah, okay. But all the signs that he's already mentioned, especially about Jerusalem, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, terrors, signs from heaven— when have those never happened? Those have always happened. Those happened in the first century. They happened in the second century. They've happened in every century. They've happened in the 21st century. I mean, what's a pestilence if it's not COVID-19? I mean, that's a pestilence. We're going to be so distracted by all these things. Satan's keeping us busy with all this other stuff that we completely neglect. Focusing in on who Christ is and what he's done for us. Be aware of what distracts you. Stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place to stand before the Son of Man. And, and it ends there, Luke says, and every day he was teaching in the temple. These are not secrets that he was telling just to his disciples. Jesus was open and honest about all these things that, that were going to take place and what his disciples were to do people who followed him, what was expected. And so what we're left with is we need to let the kindness of Jesus through his warnings lead us to repentance, lead us to faithfulness, and lead us to perseverance. Let the kindness of Jesus through the warnings of Jesus Lead us to repentance. Lead us to faithfulness. And lead us to perseverance. Only in him is there repentance. Only in him can we remain faithful. Only in him can we persevere to the end. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for even strange and difficult topics like destruction 
and the end of things. And so, God, as we have an opportunity this week to be distracted by sights and sounds, by smells, by tastes, by looks and appearances, by the grandiose nature of what a holiday means in this world and in America. Allow us, God, give us a spirit to put all that aside, to be alert, to have our minds stay awake and ready. And the knowledge of the salvation that you have given to us, that you have purchased, that you have bought for us through Christ. that we might look back and remember, that we might presently appreciate, and that we might in the future continue to hold firm to through the power of your spirit, through your grace toward us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.